However, to be changed, there must be an influence. The influence produces the transformation. That is what the purpose and the presence of a holy God in our lives is all about. It's about receiving a Holy Spirit into our spirit. His holy likeness, His nature. So that our soul, our mind, our will, and our emotions can be transformed. So that which is seen, His image can be rightly reflected in our lives. And it is the devil's business to distort that holy image. But that is why we are here in this conference to be once again influenced by a holy God, His holy nature, so that when we leave here, we are rightly reflecting His image. We've got to have that influence. Our speaker who is going to be coming is a woman of influence. As an international speaker, as the international coordinator of the network of prayer, as the author of several books, she has influenced this world. Serving on many, many, involved in many righteous causes for our nation, she has influenced this nation. For years, as the first lady of this district, Women's conferences, she has influenced the women of Louisiana. She is an influencer. And I want you to receive Sister Thetis Tenney. Let's give her the standing ovation that she is desirous of. And if we will allow the words that she speaks... She will influence the transformation in our lives. Thank you so much, and you may be seated. And y'all have shocked me. I didn't figure we would have this many women here on a Friday morning. This is wonderful. And I, I am happy to see so many of you here. You know, there's... The days have changed, and there are very few women that aren't working on a Friday morning. And to see this many women here really is a wonderful, wonderful thing. Thank you, Bonnie, for putting this together, all of her committee. And to the Ewings for hosting it, and to all of you for being here. And I am delighted that I am here. Uh, I brought some products, things for you if you would like them. I'd like to just tell you a little bit about it. Uh, there are several DVDs and CDs out there. I didn't bring uh, but a few of them up here. I did a message at our women's conference, if you remember, I think it was last year, year before last, on the anointing oil. Uh, and I, I went further in that and did a complete message. That was just part of a program. It is on DVD now. It has a tremendous message for you to understand what the anointing... That's a word we throw around a lot, the anointing. But I have, just from my own curiosity, I have asked people, what is the anointing? And it's amazing how we stumble over trying to define what the anointing is. There's some very definite things that the anointing means. Prayer gifting, something that I have been requested to do numerous times. It's available CD and DVD. It is how your personality plays into how you pray. Prophetic praying, which is amazing to me. We uh, shy away from the word prophecy, prophesying, and we think that has to do with preachers that know a whole lot about the book of Revelation. But you can enter into a phase of prayer that's prophetic. And there's a tremendous power that comes with prophetic praying. Then the little booklets that I have out there, the three-legged stool. If you haven't learned to balance life, you're going to live in a helter-skelter all your life. Balance is something that is never completed. It's always in a process. But you have to be aware of it. Fasting, my daughter's book on fasting, which is very concise and very good. A message I've been doing for 40-something years and still get requests, not only from UPC, but from outside. Jack Hayford's church ordered 3,000 of these last year, Seasons of Life. 
my latest book, God Can You Hear Me Now? Heaven's Wireless Connection, it's on prayer. Hey, you know what? Let's do something fun. If I can reach over here and get them. <laughs> this back and these legs are not working like they used to. Uh, what do you want for coming up here? You can have what you want. Okay, you can have that one. I'm going to give these away. Who's got a birthday today? Anybody? Who? Somebody's got a birthday. They're saying it, but I can't. Okay, come up here and get it. Come get what you want. Huh? 29th this month. Anybody got one closer? Okay, 23rd and 29th. Come here and get what you want. Not all of it, just one. 23rd and 29th. Who's the oldest lady here? Now that's asking a question, isn't it? Anybody older than me? How old are you? No. 81? You come right up. No, let me send it back to you. That, you received the Holy Ghost last night. Wonderful. That is wonderful. Who is the youngest lady here? Oh, no. I know when you were born. <laughs> Who is the youngest lady here? 28? 22? 20? 19? How old? 16? Anybody younger than 16? Okay, you come up and pick you out one. I can almost remember when I was 16. Not quite, but I can almost. Oh, well, let's, there's just a couple of things left. If somebody wants them, come get them. Nobody wants it? Huh? Who drove the far? They already got them. I'm sorry. Sorry. <laughs> well, that was fun. My message today is going to be a little different. I watched, um, I watched Wayne Francis preach last night. It was a tremendous message. Tremendous message. But he wore me out. I asked my husband if he could preach like that. Now, he can preach like that, but I don't think he could do all of that. And then I hear my wonderful friend, Savon Davey, whom I've known for about 15 years. She made an impression on me when I met her, and she has impacted my life since. I could take you to the spot where I first saw Savon Davey. She was a wonderful person, and I've watched God use her, bless her. I watched her grow, and it has just been wonderful. Let me just tell you that when I met her about 15 years ago now, they had just moved to Tampa. She had sickness in the family, lots of stress. They were starting a church. Fifteen years later, how many did you have in church last Sunday? Seventeen hundred. And one of the reasons that I admire this lady, not only for her wonderful power of prayer. When I need prayer, I have often called Savon to have her pray with me about something. But she's not only a wonderful preacher, wonderful prayer warrior, wonderful church builder, wonderful mother. All of her children are either have their college education or they're in the process. But she has also impacted her community and her state. She has reached beyond the church. And I really think that's what it's all about. So I, I admire her to be here with the Ewings and you know how dear they are to us and to be hosted. Now I 
I have used this thought before, but I couldn't get away from it, and I'm probably going to do a little different, and it's not going to be a preaching thing. It's going to be a digging time. We, uh, we love church. We love church. If you will bear with me, and if you're a new convert, you may not identify with this, but I've been around a long time, and I'm going to say it. Church has become our entertainment where we compare the sermons, compare the singing, how much we enjoyed it. I didn't enjoy it. I enjoy hearing them. I don't enjoy hearing them. And we need to take some reappraisals of where we are and what the church is all about. I feel like that I am talking to you today as an elder, as a mother, because I feel concern, not so much for the younger generation, but for the older generation. Now that may shock you. The younger generation, I listened to Wayne Francis last night, and he said, I want to change the world. I remember the coursing of that very thought through my soul as a young, aspiring soldier, warrior in the kingdom. I wanted to change the world, and I went to work on it. I did it. It comes about with a lot of effort. It comes about with a lot of pain, a lot of hurt sometimes, but you've got to keep the goal out there. Now, let me just... Uh, Y'all are feeling uncomfortable already, I can tell. The reason I said I am concerned about the older generation is the same thing that happened to Israel can happen to us. Israel was God's chosen people. They were God's choice. He loved them was very good to them, took care of them. And then he refers in later days of prophetic utterings from the scripture, he refers to Israel as his wife. And then God started looking for a bride. Now what is the difference between a wife and a bride? Anybody have any idea? The difference between a wife and a bride is the wife has become laden down with duties and responsibilities and stress and the everyday happenings of life. And the bride is still living in a state of excitement, anticipation, pleasing with one thought in mind the bridegroom the husband I've been married almost 56 years marriages can grow very stale there's a difference in a mature marriage and a stale marriage a mature marriage is when you have settled into such comfort with one another. A lot of things, you don't even have to finish sentences. You just understand each other. I lay down in bed last night and reached over and touched Tom on the shoulder. And I said, I'm just so glad you're here with me tonight because I, I didn't know for sure that he was coming for last night. I said, I just feel so comfortable when you're with me. Now, that's, that's a mature marriage. But there's a difference in that in a stagnant marriage. A stagnant marriage is where there's a whole lot going on as far as duties and responsibilities and busyness of life and concern with kids and grandkids and bills and finances and houses and but there's very little intimate joy 
excitement, our focus on each other. God looks for a bride. He rejected Israel when they settled in to the same old, same old of keeping up with the rules and regulations and the duties, and they lost the intimate focus of who it was about. Let me ask you a question. If you were describing, no, not you, if somebody in your community was describing your church to a, a total stranger, somebody who had just moved in, and they said, you know, it's uh, the whatever name church it is, and they said, well, I don't know anything about it. Well, it's, you know, uh, it's located at such and such a place. Well, that still doesn't tell me a whole lot about it. Well, you know, it's how would they describe your church? Would they describe how we worship, how we dress, how we look? Would they say that's the church where the women normally don't wear pants? Uh, I notice all the women have long hair, and I think those things are wonderful. They're beautiful. They're part of our heritage. But has the description of who we are settled into our disciplines and we've lost our passion? I'm an old-timer. I remember the days... And I'm not, I'm not wanting to go back to a lot of them, but I am concerned about this. I am concerned that we have become settled and comfortable and we have picked up the wifely duties and have forgotten to be the bride. I don't want to be described, I don't want to be remembered for my disciplines. I don't want to be remembered for the things I don't do. I would much prefer that I could live a life where I'd be remembered for what I did and how I loved and how I reached and the passion that I lived for and my pattern of Jesus Christ. With that, I want to introduce you to a couple of questions. One is found in John chapter 1 and verse 38. It's simply this. What seek ye? The second question is found in John 20 and 15. Whom seekest thou? If you were titling this message, and I don't think that's necessary, I guess you would call it the what or the whom. Let me give you a little setting of the first scripture. John the Baptist had come and he was uh, the forerunner of Jesus Christ and uh, there was a lot of excitement in the land. He had, John the Baptist had brought a tremendous expectancy to his community because he was totally enamored, totally possessed with the excitement of who was coming. Now let me just pause right there. There is somebody still coming. But I wonder if we are so comfortable that we don't have any exciting expectancy of who is coming. John affected his whole community with his passion for the one that was about to come. I wonder if we are affecting our communities and our areas and the people around us with the passion that we have for the one that is coming. 
Now, let me just be real blatantly honest with you. I don't think so. I think that we have become wifely. And we're so concerned with the keeping of the house and all of the activities of the children of the house. Are you following me? And we've got to be sure this meeting gets carried out and that gets carried out and this gets done and another event's coming up until we have lost the focus of, I've got to focus on who's coming. I'm excited about who's coming. I know there's something coming. There's something big happening. And I know we're, I, I'm talking about the coming of the Lord, but I also know this. There is coming an outpouring of the Spirit on this world that is going to be above anything we have ever imagined. It's already happening. We are living too much in our own little cloistered environments, our little Pentecostal conclaves, and aren't even aware that in the last 30 years, literally millions of people across the world have received the baptism of the Holy Ghost. So we just go about our little comfortable housewifely duties and somebody else is excited about what's coming. So John the Baptist was stood there and he was looking for Jesus and when he sees him, he says, this is the one I've been talking about. Behold the Lamb of God. And when he, when he says this, there's two of his disciples that turn and leave John and start following Jesus. Now that in itself is a message. How much can you give up for the furtherance of the kingdom? That's where your rights end. It's not your place in church. It's not your Sunday school class. It's not what you want. It's not who's in the choir. It's not who's doing this or who's doing that. It's behold the Lamb of God and you turn people toward Him, not toward yourself for the furtherance of the kingdom. Because see, if your passion is misplaced, then you're building your own kingdom. You're not interested in His kingdom. And so they turn and Jesus sees them and he asks them this very pointed question. What seek ye? What do you want? And their answer is very pointed. You know, I think he's still asking that question. How many of you are followers of Christ? Oh, raise your hand. You wouldn't be here if you weren't. I'm not going to try to measure everybody, but we're all followers of Christ. We all are followers of Christ. But we need to understand this question. Now, Jesus turned to these men who had just made a start in following him, and he simply says, what do you want? And sometimes we need to ask ourselves that question. What do we want? Are we following him for the fishes and the loaves? Are we following him for the crowds that clamor after him saying, I'm a Christian? What is our purpose in following Jesus? You know what their answer was? They said, where do you live? Well, we'll go home with you. Now that's, you know, and I understand they were wanting to be with him. But what I want you to get out of that is they wanted to find a place now, many a person has done that. Many seek a place. They hear a preacher and they become a follower and they want to go to a place. And I'm afraid that if we're not careful, we have put so much emphasis on the place that we have missed the importance of the person. Do you know there are people that come to church to come to church. Now, I know this is, if it's uncomfortable for you, you ought to be trying to get this kind of thought over to Pentecostal people because we have had it hammered into us, and I believe it. You're supposed to be at church, and you are. You're supposed to be there. But has church 
the place taken precedence over the person of the place? My husband has traveled a lot, and I travel as much as he does now, but back when we were younger and I was home a lot with the children, uh, and he would come in, it was, it was a big thing when he came home, you know, and I'd have a nice supper fixed and, you know, all this stuff. And Suppose he would walk in and say, I sure am glad to see my house. Walk over and pat the stove and say, I sure am glad to see this stove. There's going to be some good meals come off of this. Pat the washing machine. So glad to see this washing machine. I know my clothes are going to be clean after a while. And I'm standing in the middle of the den wondering, it's not those things. It's me. And do we come to church and we're so glad to have the blessings of God and the preacher did pretty good tonight and singing was okay, you know. And we're in a place, but we have missed the purpose of the place, which is the person that is there. I'm telling you, you can come to church and not be at church. You can come to church out of duty and responsibility, and you have come as the old, worn out, tired, exhausted wife. And Jesus is looking for a bride. Where is our passion? John 6, 26, Jesus said, Ye seek me not for the miracles, but because you did eat of the loaves. I just wonder, are we, uh, are we more interested in the loaves are we more interested in what he gives us from his hand than we are in him? Is it loaves or love? You know, when you're young and in love, it don't matter if you're eating wieners and macaroni and cheese. You're just so happy. And I remember as a young wife, Things were very meager for us, but I always did my best to make it look good and attractive, and, and I wanted the house to look good. Why? Not because I had a lot, but because I was in love. I had a passion for that man that I married, and I wanted to please him. I wanted to make him feel like he was important to me. Is it loaves or is it love? That same chapter in John chapter 6 uh, down verse 24 I think it is they, they got to where they were going and when they got there the scripture says they saw that Jesus was not there and it wasn't the same what seek ye or whom you must never confuse the place with the person Setting in John 20, where the, my second question, Whom seekest thou, comes from. It's verse 15. It's, a, it's the story of the resurrection, and we all know that. And this conference is called Renewing Your Spirit. And when I read the theme of this conference now, I know that, and Brother Francis is going to be up here hopping around and skipping around tonight, and he'll get you all excited, and I'm, I'm anxious to hearing myself, but renewing my spirit spoke deeper to me. It, it spoke to something inwardly. I, I want my spirit to be renewed from inside. I don't want to go through the motions without the feeling. I don't want to be at this place and miss the presence of the person. I, I don't. Have you ever been to a place and felt like Nobody knew you were there. You know, just kind of you were there and it seemed like 
you just became invisible. Nobody hardly knew you were there. They didn't. I wonder if Jesus sometimes comes to church and we're so focused on what we're saying, what we're doing, and what somebody else is doing that he feels a little bit invisible. Back to chapter 20 of John. It was Easter, and we all know the end of the story. It was a time of celebration and joy. I mean, it is to us. We all know that. But in this setting, there was a Mary there that didn't feel like that. It was a day of trouble for her. It was despair. It was, death was there. The sepulcher was there. She had found the place where he was supposed to be. But he wasn't there. And the place was not enough without the person. She knew where to go. She knew where the place was. But when the person wasn't there, she still had no joy, even though she was at the right place. Let me just ask you, there are people, there are people, oh, the loneliness that is in this world, folks. The sadness that is around you every day. Do we invite them to a place? Or do they feel the presence of the person? You know, sometimes we are so Pentecostal. And I am a Pentecostal. But sometimes we are so Pentecostal that a lonely, hurting person gets lost in the midst of the noise of the place and don't even see the person they came for. I'm just talking to you out of my heart because I am concerned. Let me say again, and I've never said this before, but I've said it, this is my second time today. I am as concerned about the older people among us, and I don't mean necessarily age. I'm talking about those that have been in this way for a long time. I am as concerned or more concerned about them than I am the younger generation. Because between people who are devoted to a place rather than those who are seeking for a person, God always chose the one that was seeking for the person. He rejected Israel. They had built monuments. They had built a whole movement. But when a movement is no longer moving, it becomes a monument. And he rejected them for what was called the outcast of the world, the Gentile bride. I don't know if you're getting anything out of this or not. Sometimes we like to shout too much. You need to do some thinking. We need to be some evaluation. Now the only reason she even went to the place that morning was to find him. And she couldn't find him. She went to the place where he was supposed to be, but she was, he wasn't there. And she stood, verse 11 says, she stood weeping. And I wonder how many people have come into our churches and stood weeping. Because we were happy to be in the place, but we did not make the person's presence real to them. Peter and John came too. They came to the place. She got there first. Peter and John came. And they didn't find him. And you know what the scripture says? They went to their own place. They went back home. Because they had come for this person. And he wasn't there. And they went back home. Ecclesiastes 8 and 10 has a little phrase in the middle of it says, you come and go from the place of the holy. And we do that a lot. We come to the place, the place of the holy, and we go from the place, and we come to the place, and we go from the place, and we come to the place, and we go to the place. And how many times has Jesus wondered if he was invisible? 
Did you know, I'm going to be honest with you. Did you know you can sit through a whole service? You can clap your hands because we automatically, you know what? Let me confess a little further, and you may as well confess because I'm one of you. You don't necessarily clap your hands because you're excited about Jesus. We have been conditioned. When the music starts, there are certain things we do. Is that wrong? No, that's not wrong. We have learned well. But remember, the only difference between a bride and a wife is the wife has learned to do the proper things and the responsibilities and the duties. But she doesn't have her heart in it. Bonnie, I'm sorry. I'll do something different tomorrow. Maybe. I'm not sure. By the way, I'm going to speak tomorrow on the feminine side of God. So they went home. She stood there. And we come and we go. She stood weeping and she stooped and she waited. Time lost significance to her. She was in the right place. But time lost its significance because she was waiting for the person. The focus was on the person. Let me just say that I love the excitement. I love the dancing. I used to. I can't do much of it anymore, but my heart can still jump up and down. I love all that. I love all that. But I'm, I'm, I'm concerned, folks. I'm just being honest with you. I am concerned that we have fallen in to the routine of the place without the emotional, passionate response. That is so dangerous. That's why young Christians don't have that problem. They come looking for Him, totally focused on Him. That's why I said I worry about us older people. Because he's going to come back for a bride. That's who he's looking for. So she is looking, waiting, emotion. You know God responds to how we feel. Not what we do. Not by works of righteousness. You can never do anything that will acquire salvation for you. It's not anything you do. Are we supposed to do that? Yes. You're supposed to live holy. You're supposed to keep yourself from the world. You're supposed to pay your tithes. You're supposed to give your time. You're supposed to pray. You're supposed to fast. All of those things are things we do. But God responds to how you feel. To a contrite heart, he won't turn away. To a broken heart, he will respond. When he saw people weeping, he saw Mary weeping, he said, why weepest thou? He responds to those kind of things. When he was with Mary and Martha and Lazarus had died, he responded to their emotions, their feelings. We have not an high priest that cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities, but with an all points tempted like as we. He is touched by not what we do, but how we feel. The difference between a wife and a bride is she routinely does her duties. The bride has the passion to prompt her. The bride probably doesn't do it as well as a seasoned wife. But she has the passion that prompts what she does. Then Mary... 
Mary heard the words. And the presence of the angels were there. But she wasn't distracted by that. She was looking for the person. She was looking for the person. Nothing ever deterred her from what she was looking for. All of what was going on around her. She just was looking for the person. The angels asked why her tears. Jesus was there. When he came, he asked her why. Heaven was touched by her true devotion to the person. Now, you know, um, I love the story of where, where the, the women decided that they were going to go and anoint the body of Christ. To me, that is a beautiful story, especially for women. They mixed the anointments together and they made the effort to go to take it to the tomb. But when Mary got there, it wasn't the anointing, it wasn't anything. She only was looking for one thing, and that was him. She was devoted enough to go to the place, but she was not devoted to the place without him there. She had a determined, I will. She said to Jesus, when he said, whom seekest thou? She said, tell me where he is and I will find him. I will go and take him. The determined, I will. You can have a mass service. You can have a congregational worship. But if you don't put the determined, I will you can miss the person in the place. We can all get caught up in worship. The act of worship. We even use that phrase. The act of worship. We can all get caught up in that. But you've got to have that determined, I will. I will go and take him. That's from me, myself. There's another part of the Easter story that I would like to bring to your attention. Disciples going on the Emmaus Road. It's Luke chapter 24. Uh, if, you will, if you will remember the story, they had left. They were walking on the road going to the little village of Emmaus, which was uh, outside Jerusalem. And they were talking about what had happened. And they were talking about events. Because when Jesus got caught up with them and he said, you know, well, they were talking about the, the crucifixion and all this, you know, everything going on. And, and Jesus said, what are you talking about? And they said, well, don't you know what's been happening? Aren't you aware of the events of the place? Now, I know my mind is a little different, a little wacko. But how many times... Do we put special emphasis on getting people to come to the place for an event? And that's okay. I'm not knocking that. I think that's wonderful. I've promoted those things. I believe in doing that. What I'm trying to get you to see, and I don't know if I'm even making sense to you or not. What I'm trying to get you to see is we can't let the means become the important part over the person. They said to Jesus, they were walking along talking about it. Now, mind you, they were talking spiritual talk. They were talking about what happened with, in Jerusalem. What happened in the place. The scripture says they communed together and they reasoned in their heart and they, they talked about testimony. and all. It, 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 sounded, it sounded real churchy, real churchy. But they missed the presence. They were so taken with where they had been and where they were going that they missed the presence and Jesus had to tarry with them and feed them again again and again and how many times do we come 
And I just want to be fed again and again. And food is necessary and feeding is important. But don't get lost in being at the place to be fed and forget who is the bread of life. The person or the place. Back to Mary, Jesus whispers her name and she responds, Master, the sheep know his voice because they've been intimately personal. She was not just a disciple, but she was a personal relationship to him. It wasn't just direction. You see, we get direction a lot of time. And we're followers. And then we, we recognize our duty and we become disciplined to our duty. But if you have direction and discipline without desire, it's mechanical. Every one of you here know the scripture. You know what you ought to know. You know what to do. You all have followed certain disciplines. And you're very faithful to those disciplines. But let me just ask you, is your heart, now be honest, is your heart burning with desire just for Jesus? Just for his presence? Would you rather have the excitement of a big worship service? Or do you long for those times when you just sit in his presence and he whispers in your mind and your heart? There is nothing like a quiet moment drawn close to the bosom of Jesus Christ. To where you can hear and feel his heartbeat and you draw close to him. But are we so busy with direction and discipline that we have no desire? Did you know you can serve God? You can live for God. You can be a Pentecostal. And have no desire for the presence of Jesus Christ. Now you have respect for his presence. You have respect for who he is. You honor his name. But you know, I just have a feeling that my husband expects a little bit more out of me than just saying, I'm Mrs. Tom Frantini. I bear his name. I live in the house he provides. I take care of my duties very well. But don't you think that if he really loves me, he would rather that I spend an hour in the swing talking to him than to be rushing around the house with everything that keeps me busy. Do I need to keep the house? Yes. That's the discipline. Do I need to be faithful to him who is my identity? That's the following. But without the desire, it becomes an empty relationship. And remember this, when God described himself, He is love. Not works. Not busyness. Not discipline. He is love. And I don't know how much love we have emanating from our heart or if it has slipped into nothing more 
than the discipline of everyday Pentecostal living. Her home led to a presence. A place with no presence is very empty. It's presence that makes the difference. Whom seek ye? A person, a person, a presence, his pleasure. What seek ye? A location, a vocation, verification. Which do you want? Whom or what? close with a story that has become a favorite of mine. My son told it to me. He was in Wales and uh, staying with a, a very famous um, is it soccer they play there? I think it's soccer. No, no, it's not. It's something that's out of the game. The rugby, rugby. And uh, this, this man he was staying with was a famous rugby player. He had retired, and he told Tommy, he said, before you go home, I want to take you to a rugby game. And Tommy said, I don't know anything about rugby. He said, I have a reason for taking you. You see, Wales at one time was one of the great revival spots of the world. The Welch Revival is probably one of the most famous, well-known historical revivals where the entire, I mean, you can read about it, it honestly will make you weep and give you chills up and down your spine. This presence of God invaded that country so strongly that they said men that were in the coal mines would get under conviction and come up to the surface with tears streaming down their coal-dusted faces because they felt convicted of their sins. I read one story where a man was on his way from the little village back to his home in his buggy. And as he neared a church where they were having services, the presence of God overwhelmed him so much. He started weeping so hard that he had to pull his buggy and his horse over to the side of the road, and it stopped near the church, and he was drawn into the church. Nothing but the presence of God had invaded that area so much. And by the way, I've seen a picture of a plaque, a bronze plaque in front of the church that became the center point of that revival. There is a scripture engraved on it. And for you Pentecostals, it is Acts 2.38. Now, in the right setting, if I had told you that, you would have stood to your feet and clapped because... We like that. Back to the rugby game. So they, they go to the rugby game. And by the way, the revival in Wales, Wales had its beginning with a young man named Evan Roberts who prayed continually for 12 years and never missed a service because he was sure the revival was coming and he didn't want to take a chance on missing it. That's what you call passion. That's what you call desire. That's what you call looking for the person and not just going to the place. So they went to the rugby game. Rowdy people. There's no revival in Wales now. The church that once housed that revival is a memorial. Churches are struggling. There's somewhat of a renewed revival in this land, but nothing, nothing, nothing. There are still churches. There are still Christians. But the desire's gone. The passion is no longer there. So they get to the rugby game with all of the beer drinking and the singing and the loud talking and the fun, big time going on. And before the game starts, 
almost on signal, they all stand and they start singing, Oh, thou great Jehovah, an old Welsh hymn. They finish and they sit down and the game starts. But there's nothing left but a song. There's no spirit with it. They still knew how to go to the place. But they had missed the person. <laughs> you know, I'm not worried about losing our doctrine. I'm not. It's been pounded into us. I am not worried about us disappearing as a movement. Our, our church is closing their doors. But I am so concerned that we have fallen into the everyday trap of wifedom in the church. And there's no passion left for the person. We like the loaves that living for God gives us. But the love is on the back burner. Would you stand? I'm not much for a big emotional ending. I sometimes think that we depreciate what God is speaking to our heart because we again go through the motion without the feeling but if you would like to reevaluate where you are you know I counsel a lot of young couples my husband but I, I have learned a few things and I counsel a lot of young couples you can get so busy working, building a house raising a family that you can lose your relationship and you know how you have to rekindle that you have to start taking time to communicate and to spend time together. With our jobs and our busy church schedules and events, if we're not careful, we can lose our relationship. If you would like to renew your vow to your bridegroom, would you come forward? I would just like for us to take a little time this morning to make love to Jesus just to express our need for Him. And then I would hope that from this day, we would not just go back to business as usual, but that we would somehow or other rededicate ourselves to our relationship with Him. Let's pray, and then they'll sing. Father, I'm so sorry. That I've been so busy without you everything that I do for church is meaningless I just want to come back to love you I want to come back to spend time with you you're the one we love you're the one that brought us here we thank you, Lord, for the lows. We thank you, Lord, for the place. 
Lord, I want to again try to make you become the center of my life to where I commune with you. I spend time with you. I just draw near to you because you promised that if I would just take one step toward you, you will draw near to me. And to live in the presence of God is the most gratifying way to live. I pray you would bless these women. I pray you would speak to their hearts. Knock gently on our heart's door this morning, Lord, and let us see that you wait. You wait there for us. And let us open and take time to sup with you and you sup with us. In Jesus' name. Would you just whisper a prayer to the Lord? Make your vow to him for more time with him. Don't slip into wifedom and forget that you're called to be a bride.